My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Before we get into today's interview, I want you guys to know about these amazing courses that I've been taking. So you probably know that I have a big passion for learning a second language. In my house, we speak English, Spanish, and Chinese. Basically, at all times, the languages are going back and forth in and out of different languages. Also, Portuguese, we're starting to learn Portuguese next, specifically Brazilian Portuguese. And with that, I have a really amazing announcement. My friend Ollie Richards has released a new set of uncovered courses for learning second languages, and one of them is Brazilian Portuguese. So I'm really excited about this. He does a whole ton of different languages in his programs, and these are the exact courses that me and my family used to go from really crummy Spanish a couple of years ago to pretty much fluent right now. So I really like these. I really believe in the work that he does, and my listeners have had amazing success with this. So all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language and check out the work that he does. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. Listen, if you guys are going to be an expat, if you're going to be a digital nomad, if you want to travel and homeschool or world school your kids, I highly recommend learning a second language. So go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. And that's it. Let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is a privacy consultant and privacy advocate. He is the author of The Watchman's Guide to Privacy, a holistic overview of how and why to be private. He also hosts The Watchman's Privacy Podcast, which explores timely events and practical tips regarding privacy, but also radical and rarely discussed ideas from torrenting to living on the ocean. Please welcome to the show, Gabriel Custodian. Gabe, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Mikkel. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. I'm really excited about having you on this show. You know, you and I got connected maybe six months, maybe a year ago. You were nice enough to send me a copy of your book. I devoured the whole thing in probably about two nights. I loved your book very much. And, you know, we started talking on the phone and now you're on the podcast. So I'm really excited to have you here. Before we get going, why don't you kind of Walk us through your backstory a little bit. How did you get into privacy? Why do you think it is so important? I want to hear all of it. Okay. So, you know, they don't give out degrees in in privacy or privacy consulting. So I I learned about privacy myself through being self-taught, I guess you could say. You know, I I read all the books out there. I mean, all of them. I started practicing a, a privacy lifestyle for the last many years. I test everything. You know, I research like a savage. And I'm an avid learner. And I try to stay balanced as well in terms of understanding computers, 
know, I have a background in, uh, you know, computer science, I guess you could say, understanding uh, finance and, and the legal realm and understanding, you know, physical privacy as well. And so I would say that, you know, when did I first start getting interested in this? Perhaps around 2013 with the Edward Snowden allegations. I think that's when a lot of us started getting concerned about this stuff. And, and that's when I really started researching the sheer politics you know, of privacy and, and the philosophy of privacy. And I started to grow a, a political spine. I did my due diligence in, in reading history and understanding ethics. And you know, I came to the conclusion that privacy is, I think, the greatest tool the individual has to ensure his freedom and protection, whether that's against the state uh, or any you know, entity that would besiege him. So when people ask me, you know, well, you know, why is privacy important? Well, give you a few examples. If you're skeptical of the government, right, which, you know, R.J. Rummel, death by government, governments killed by some estimates 300 million people, not including world wars in the 20th century. Well, if you understand that, then I probably don't have to convince you about the value of privacy or, you know, if you're one of the millions of people being stalked or harassed or your identity has been stolen. You know, I, I also probably don't have to convince you if you are gay and you live in one of, I think, 10 countries where you can be killed for being gay. I don't have to convince you of the need for privacy. So I, I think we all care about privacy and people who say they don't uh, just haven't thought about it uh, as much as they should have. And that's what I've primarily done is just sit down, think about the value of privacy, do my due diligence. And that led me inevitably to wanting to help other people create the podcast, create the book. And I also do consulting as well. And I try to bring it all together and just you know, provide as much uh, value for people to get back privacy and freedom in their lives. Well, one of the things that I liked the most about the book was it wasn't just digital privacy. It wasn't just privacy, you know, how to have an antivirus software or use Tor or use a VPN or things like this. I mean, your book actually covers so many different ideas of privacy, things that just didn't occur to me the first time I read them, but actually made perfect, perfect sense. So I don't know how you want to start this because definitely I want to share some of the tips and tricks and things like this of, you know, things that are covered in the book, but maybe we should dig into a little bit more on the reasons why. Because I mean, you, you, you quickly highlighted those things about the governments or about different corporations or people who do your harm. But I guess my first question in this avenue is, can you be private from governments? I mean, can you be private from these big tech companies? And so I would say pretty much to the first question and uh, definitely to the, the second question. So yes, you can be private from big tech. Uh, governments, that's a that's a more difficult matter. And that's when we get to your favorite techniques, which are living abroad, flag theory, this kind of stuff. That That's crucial for anybody who takes privacy seriously. But uh, no, look, I, I do think a lot of this is possible. And you don't have to give up your modern conveniences to, to gain some privacy. We'll, we'll get into some of those techniques about the balance between privacy and, uh, and convenience. But here's another thing to consider when we get to uh, you know why is why is privacy uh, so important today? So, uh, privacy when you when you get down to it, the essential reality of the universe is that we have a private mind, and throughout our lives we let some things in, we let our loved ones in, we let things that we like inside of our private mind. But we should never forget that our private mind is the central reality of the universe. And so, pursuing privacy, which is determining what you let into your life, is not only the greatest protection that we have, but it's also crucial for genuine living. So in a world of constant bombardment of 
messages, advertising, uh, state interference, news and fake news and you know, alarmism. Uh, pursuing privacy is, I would say, nothing short of developing ourself in a way that is getting at the, the core of uh, what being is. It's about sifting through the white noise of culture. It's about not getting spam in our inboxes because we are a little bit more savvy with the email address the email addresses that we give out. Um, and when one does that, when one starts to be more proactive about what we let into our lives, well, I find that people become more productive. They become wealthier. Uh, they know what they want in life. Privacy is, you know, it's a means to an end for developing the genuine self. So do you see it as a sheet of armor that you wear? Yeah, so so that's a good question. So I would I would say I define privacy as, uh, I actually define privacy as, as a social term. So we already have, you know, the word solitude, which is, you know, being alone and away from everything. Privacy, though, is a social term, and it's a social environment where I can decide to a pretty serious degree what information I expose to others. And so you can think about, I guess, privacy as a shield. I think about privacy as a social environment, as I said. Um, and we want to cultivate a social environment where, sure, we, we have a shield and then we can be very selective about when we let down the, the defenses because, you know, we obviously, not all advertising is bad. We want to be aware of certain things. We want to bring people into our lives. Privacy is not about being antisocial. It's not about blocking out everybody from our lives. It's just about being a little bit more meaningful in a world that's always trying to get our attention. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So I guess my follow-up question is then, you know, in your opinion or in your life, if you're willing to share it, are you open and do you let down your guard with the people that are close to your life? Or is the privacy that you try to attain or put in your life include everybody, all aspects? Like, I, I guess what I'm trying to see is, is it just the companies and the advertisers of big tech and government? Or is it also from your, your community, from your neighborhood, from your, your friends, your buddies, your spouse, these types of people as well? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I would, I guess, point out first by saying that, you know, we're having a conversation right now. We met over the internet and we have certain things in common. Now, you don't know uh, a whole lot about me. I don't know that much about you. And yet we're able to have a great conversation. And there's there's a lot that we have in common. And so for me, there are certain things that I say are always off limits. I never give out my home address, for example. I never get a, give out various other pieces of information. But you know, if you think about it, I don't know if you remember the uh, kind of mediocre third in the Batman trilogy, uh, The Dark Knight uh, Rises, where uh, Bane, the guy wearing the mask, the villain, he says that nobody knew me until I put on the mask, right? Which is a great line. And then you have Oscar Wilde, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the playwright, the writer, uh, Irish writer, who has a great essay called uh, The Truth of Masks. And so I think for anybody who's been on the internet, you know that when you put on a persona, when you have a name that you use for a particular particular group of people, you can actually be more honest. You can actually be uh, more genuine, if you will. And that's kind of how I see uh, the privacy side, which is, and so Mikkel, I would say that privacy is a way to have different personas that we use to interact with the different people in our lives, whether that's a you know business entity or an online name or what have you. And so I, I don't see it as a contradiction at all. Uh, obviously, I'm <laughs> I expose whatever whatever 
I, I feel is necessary to my, uh, you know, my inner circle, but you can have amazing relationships with people without, you know, revealing your street address or, or some of this other personal stuff, even without revealing your real name, for example. Well, it is something that I have struggled with. I mean, for lack of a better word, I mean, I'm a public figure and, you know, I'm very fortunate for the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers that I have. And I love to connect with my followers. And, you know, you read any of the marketing material and, you know, training on marketing and things. And they're always saying, be authentic, be yourself, be genuine. So I have this this need to really show people, you know, who I am on this podcast and my newsletter and my group and everything like that. But at the same time, like, I never say my wife's name on the podcast. I don't say the name of my kids. I don't put pictures up of my children on Facebook or anything like that. So it's this delicate balance of, you know, what things are just for me and then what things do I share with the world? Everybody knows that listens to this show that I'm a happily married man. I got two kids, you know, that we gave birth in Brazil, but they don't know what my kids look like. If, you know, if my wife was walking down the street, they wouldn't know who she is. And it's like this challenge of, you know, how much do I share, but how much do I keep for myself as well? Because I do want people to know me. I want my followers to know that I'm a real person and, you know, I'm not all shiny and perfect. I mean, I have flaws, lots of them. And I deal with things and I have emotions and I have ups and downs and I've gone through tough times. And and by show, showing these things and sharing them, I hope to be able to inspire others. I guess what I'm trying to say is is this balance is is not always the easiest to know how to proceed. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, of course that, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And for a lot of people, the personality is part of the brand, and I, I completely understand that. I am a little bit skeptical. We can we can talk more about this if you would like. I'm a little bit skeptical of the marketing mindset of we have to uh, be on all social media. We have to capture all of our users data, this kind of thing. But if your personality is part of your brand, then, uh, you know, you just have to work with that and recognize, first of all, what some of the risks, some of the risks are. So for somebody in your position who is a public figure, well, sometimes you might make an enemy here or there, or somebody might, you know, send a private investigator after you or, you know, any number of things, somebody might try to dox you, which means that they you know, publish your uh, public information with the intent of having somebody come visit you, harass you. There's even a worse form of it called swatting, where somebody would call a local police department and give your address and say that, you know, somebody is, uh, you know, being held at gunpoint. And so they would, they might send in the swatting. This somebody uh, in the United States in, in 2017 actually got killed by doing this. And it was uh, because somebody had an argument about a Call of Duty video game, and they called in a, a SWAT team to this person's address, which they happened to find. And so there's there's all kinds of crazy things in our world, Mikkel, where you have people publishing books like In Defense of Looting, and you can see a, a kind of moral decline in, in many countries across the world. Um, you can you can see that there are enhanced risks, especially for somebody in your position. And so what you might do is just yes, be proactive about separating work from business and you know having business entities do things and hire people to reserve your hotels uh, in or in a company name. Uh, you know, make use of confederates, by which I mean you know other people doing things for you. And of course, having separate devices for work and personal use. 
uh, being careful not to expose your home address, being cautious about you know, recording places that you will spend time in. Um, there, there's some basic things that you can do. I actually, you know, I'm a follower of yours and I love that you have a personal touch, uh, but you can also sit down and consider the risks and try to mitigate some of them. Well, and this is one of the reasons that I'm so excited to have you on the show because these are things that are near and dear to my heart. I mean, and as someone who who respects privacy and wants privacy, but at the same time wants to connect with my people, it's this balancing act. I mean, I have had death threats, like legit death threats being sent to me because of articles that I've written. I mean, because I'm very outspoken against taxation, about how tax is theft, and I'm actively trying to help people to reduce their tax bill. And now, I mean, I follow the law and everything we do is completely above board. But if someone is very minded that it is our responsibility to take care of the entire world and you start challenging these belief patterns, some people get really bent out of shape. And I have sent emails, I've sent articles before and literally gotten death threats. I'm going to come to Panama and I'm going to find you and I'm going to mess you up. It's like, wow, like that is, that's intense. You know, like I never thought that I would get something like that. But as I said, you you start challenging people's belief patterns and they all come out of the woodwork sometimes, I, I swear. Yeah, so politics is the thing that people are willing to kill for and die for these days. And if you just turn on the news for a minute, you can see evidence of this. People are totally convicted that if you are advocating for going to a different country to reduce your tax burden that you are literally causing the death of somebody. There is a lot of crazy stuff out there and there are increasingly crazy people out there who have access to astonishing resources. I mean, Mikkel, you can go online right now. I could show you in a couple of minutes and you could pull up databases of stolen information that reveals addresses and phone numbers and family members and all this kind of stuff. And people have access to this, they're using it, and they can use it. And that kind of information is not going to diminish. And so it becomes uh, especially important to hide everything you can. And that's why my first principle is to simply reduce the amount of information that you have sitting out there. And so I tell people, as best you can, don't give out your real name. Don't give out your address. That's that's always a key thing. Never give out your home address. Mikkel, I don't even know what my home address is right now. I've been living in a place for a while. I continue, I will continue to live here for a while. I don't, I don't even know the address I'm in because I've I've never even seen it on paper. And so not giving out certain information, not giving out, not having fewer accounts online, this is all part of a a minimalist, a minimalist mindset, which is at the core of my advice, which is have fewer things out there, give fewer things out to people. And that's where it starts for me. Okay. So let's say that someone is listening to this episode right now and they're like, wow, I completely shit the bed. I have given out so much personal information around the internet, Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, they've been very careless. They haven't thought about this, but this, this episode is a bit of a wake up call. Is there ways to claw back this data that is out there on the internet? Definitely. And I'm not a, I'm not a doom and gloom person. I'm optimistic 
And I subscribe to what I think, you know, the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said, where he says, it's never too late to make yourself out of what you've been made into. And that's, that's definitely true. And sure, yes, maybe your home address is, is floating out there, but you can, you know, start to uh, go to some of these people search websites and get some of the stuff taken down. You can decide the next time you move, well, you're going to rent or buy in the name of an LLC or a trust. And that's not too difficult of a process. You'll want some advice on that, but it's definitely doable. You can start to pollute some of the accounts that you already have out there and give a different address, give a, a fake address, delete uh, a lot of your information. Just sit down and do a cleansing. Sit down, make note of all the accounts you have, make note of some of the things you're exposed on and just kind of go through them, delete them, pollute them, give out fake information and you know recognize that they, right? They have your information. They is not one single entity. It's a bunch of different entities. And it's always a good idea to start somewhere. Well, and I would also imagine that your advice would follow that people should start somewhere and get started. And it's something that's going to build up over time. Because I know when I have a private client who comes, works with me, and we want to move them off offshore. And, you know, privacy is a big part of it. And you mentioned trusts and foundations and LLCs and IBCs. I mean, that's stuff that I work with every day for my clients to set them up and use nominee directors so that their names are not on the paperwork. You know, we're following the laws with all of this, but there is additional privacy that comes into play. There's anonymity. There can be separation between yourself and the entities, et cetera, et cetera. But what I often advise my clients is don't try to do everything all in one day. If we're doing residency and citizenship and bank accounts and companies and offshore gold vaults and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, don't think that it needs to be done all in one day. Give yourself time. Every step that you make in the right direction leads you further down the path to having more privacy in your life. Do you find the same when you're working with your clients? Definitely. It is important to simply with anything in life, right? The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So carve out one little thing and work on that. Here's something easy for the listeners to do. Clean out your inbox and stop having everybody send you emails. Now, this is a good example because not only will it protect you from phishing attacks, from advertising, hijacking your mind, if, if you want to think about it like that, but it will also give you a, simply a peace of mind, right? A lot of people, they have to clear out their inbox. And if there's fewer things, you'll have more time to do other stuff. Your mind will be less polluted. So this is the perfect example of you know, how privacy can is protection, but it's also getting in touch with your more genuine personal private self. So here's what you can do for email. You can, for example, decide that, okay, I'm not going to give out my real email address anymore, except for maybe some of the essential things, my bank account, et cetera. You can go to a website like 33mail.com and create an account, which lets you create unlimited secondary email addresses that funnel to your actual email address. And so the next time you buy something online, you give out one of these temporary email addresses, one of these burner email addresses, you'll get your receipt from the company that you bought the thing, but they don't get your real email address and you can block it with one click when you're done. And you can start going through your inbox and unsubscribing to things. And once you do that, you've etched out a small part of your life and started practicing some of the privacy techniques that I've described. 
Well, I've also seen with email that there are ways that you can have like a catch-all type of email. I know with ProtonMail, it's very easy to set up. So if you have a paid account with them, you can have uh, a custom domain name, which could be any random domain name that you pick up on GoDaddy for $3 or something like that, and then set it as a catch-all. So you could use, when you buy from a store, you could put it like Amazon at randomdomainname.com. Then if you start getting emails from that say Amazon at randomdomainname.com, but it's not coming from Amazon, it's coming from someone else, you know that who has sold your information to another one. It's very interesting to watch how your information starts floating around the internet. Exactly, yes. And what you just described is basically how something like 33Mail works. And you're right. Once you start doing that, and let's say you, I don't know, you buy uh, a paddleboard. And so you name your email, right? Paddleboard company at mm -hmm. your, you know, your domain. In the future, if you start getting emails from a random person, it will come under the name of paddleboard at something.com. So you know, okay, this company exposed me. I'm not going to trust them again. You shouldn't trust any companies, of course. And you can start to collect information in addition to starting to protect some of your privacy. So that's a that's a great, great example. Good advice. Yeah, absolutely. So okay, so let's talk then. So that that is good advice for email. And and I definitely recommend going through and unsubscribing to stuff that you don't care about and don't need about. Hopefully you're not unsubscribing from my newsletter or my podcast. And I don't want this to be uh, self-defeating here by any means. That's but, true. You know, from <laughs> spammy stuff, you know, or things that don't really interest you. Absolutely. Start getting rid of those things. What about from the social media side? Any tips on how to moderate or maybe downsize your social media? Because I see that as, you know, a pretty obvious leak in privacy. Yeah. So social media is huge. I gave up social media cold turkey a few years ago, and I've only become social, more social as a result. Uh, but I understand that a lot of people need it, especially for business these days. So the first thing, of course, let's separate personal and business. Let's start with personal. I like to encourage people to kind of rethink why they're using a particular social media. So what I did when I got off is I just made a list of all the people that I, I was genuinely interested in interacting with. And I got their email address or their phone number and I'm in touch with them as I need to be. And I found that the need for Facebook uh, was greatly exaggerated when I was using it. So you might, for a lot of people, just stop and consider whether or not you need these social media accounts. Now, assuming that you want to stay with it, there are, sure, there are things you can do. I don't encourage you to put uh, many photos on there. Uh, you can have a photo of something random as your personal profile photo. You can change your name to some variant of your name or something random so that you know, people can't just look you up by your name. So there are little things like this that you can do. Disable tracking, of course. Make sure whenever you upload a, uh, a photo that you will actually let's let's not get into that because most places like Facebook and Instagram will already remove the GPS coordinates of the photo. That was a problem more in the past. That's but, the metadata, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so and, it's like their camera make and you know where the picture was taken and things like that. Exactly. So uh, a you know an, an iPhone will have GPS coordinates of a photo that was taken, and so you you take a photo of your 
private home and you upload that to a personal blog, well, somebody can backtrack the EXIF data, it's called EXIF data, and figure out what the GPS location was. So um, just little things like this to consider. Well, okay, so let's pause on that one because I am interested and then we'll continue on. Is there software for removing that metadata? Yes, there is. Now, if you filter, if you upload these to places like Facebook or Instagram or eBay, that will automatically be erased by the company. So they're getting, they've always been good at that, but in the past, it was more a problem. Okay, I'm putting this on my personal blog, my random blog website, then yeah, uh, it might not be removed. But yeah, there there are websites that you can use to uh, remove the EXIF data. So one website that you can use to scrub the EXIF data is a website called verexif.com, V-E-R-E-X-I-F.com. You upload the photo and it will remove the EXIF data. So that's just a, a small thing that you can do, start to get into the habit and also start to consider, and this is the second step that I, I advocate in developing a philosophy of privacy. Think about all of the systems that are at play when you interact with the world. And the digital world, which you know includes this photo that you're taking, has all kinds of little mechanisms that are working around it. When you better understand them, you have a greater chance at making sure that you remain private from them. Yeah, when I started doing research on this a couple of years ago, I was shocked at how much data just a simple photo can have. The saying is, a photo holds a thousand words or a photo is worth a thousand words. But it's, it actually goes so much deeper than that when you start looking at GPS coordinates, what type of phone that it was taken on, what type of model it was made on, the dimensions, the weather. Like, I mean, it, it's crazy how much data that these actually hold in the background that you don't even see. Yes, and here's another example of how revealing a photo can be. There was a there was an instance of a Japanese celebrity, and she was tracked down at her train stop because she took a selfie, and one of her mentally unstable followers recognized where she was based on like a reflection in a in a uh, water puddle, and he actually tracked her down and kidnapped her. So you so just one more reason to be very careful about not just of course the data of the photo but what you're revealing in the photo because there's an entire group of people Mikkel, uh called OSINT practitioners open source intelligence gathering and they make a sport of this they make a sport of finding out things about people that they want to for their job or for sports for doxing whatever and they're very good at finding any information that you have online and you know, connecting the dots and determining all kinds of things. And so that's going down the rabbit hole. Um, and we're trying to take small bites, of course, as, as we just mentioned, but it's, it is important to think in broad terms sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's take a quick break. All right, guys, Expat International School, the new program that we put together with my buddy, Michael Strong. It is amazing. We actually have kids that are in the program right now, and the feedback has been phenomenal. The kids are absolutely loving school. They're actually learning so much. They're making friends. This is not just a video course or something like that. No, it is extremely high touch. They have classes, 15 maximum kids per group. We call them cohorts. And 
we have one guide for that. The program is unbelievable. Michael has over 30 years experience in the educational space. He comes from a Montessori background. He actually did curriculum design for Montessori. We're taking a lot of his ideas and we're putting them online together. And we're going to tackle a lot of the problems that face expat and digital nomad families. So if you or your kids or your neighbors or your grandkids or your cousins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have kids ages eight to 19, then what I want you to do is go to expatschool.io and find out more information about the programs. If you're serious about this, then jump on a phone call with me, with Michael, with our team. Let's sit down. Let's discuss. We can answer all of your questions. We can look at the entire program. And if it makes sense, we will make an invitation for your family to join. I'm really excited about this. I've never been so pumped up about anything in my entire life. I think this could be the greatest thing I've ever done. The kids are in there right now. The program is up and running. Go to expatschool.io and find out more information. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. Well, and then back to social media. Last week, Facebook... What's up and Instagram all went down for a day. And I was messaging back and forth on, I don't know, on Signal or on Telegram, something that's a little bit more secure with my friends. And we're like, I hope it just stays off. I mean, for business, it's it's good. And I have an amazing Facebook group with I've had a chance to connect with so many people at expatmoneyforum.com. But I mean, I actually think that the world would be a better place without these companies in it. As much as it's great to get connected and it does help my business and things like that, I would sacrifice that all to remove ourselves of this, especially when you start learning about, I don't know, like you start reading about these things of eating disorders that kids have and shaming and bullying. And I mean, as a father, I'm looking at this stuff and going, this is getting nuts. I just can't believe what's happening in the world. Yeah, exactly. So that's why for me, this goes back to privacy is about living your life the way that you want to live it instead of feeling like you have to keep up with the Joneses or look a certain way because that's how people on TikTok look or any of this other kind of stuff. It's about cutting through the fat of life and focusing on the meat. Now, I was never one to be a massive social media junkie by any means. Literally, the way that I have mine set up is I have a button on my computer that takes me directly to my Facebook group, and I go in and I chat with people or I respond to some questions and things like that, and then I leave. So I'm never on there scrolling through the news feed, which is never-ending. You could scroll for 100 years and you would never get to the bottom of the page. So... I have little things like this so I don't end up wasting massive amounts of time on these things. I go in, I speak to the people that I want to speak to, and then I leave. But I'm also using social media for business. So this kind of ties back to our other part of how can you use technology to your advantage to help you in your business, but not get sucked into it and not give away too much of your your data like we're talking about today. Right. So this is another point that I want to make, which is that when I first started to become interested in being self-employed, running my own business, I came across a lot of the same text as you, which said that you need to know everything about your customer. You need to meet them wherever they are. You need to make use of Google Analytics and Google Trends and YouTube Analytics and collect as much as you can and know everything about your customer. But I've become a little bit of a skeptic about that approach. Not, I mean, people can look at 
uh, what I've accomplished compared to, to you, to you. And it's, it's infinitesimal. But when later I came across a, a, a person who I very much respect, who said that he'd never spent a single cent on advertising and he had basically no social media accounts and he was fairly successful. He got all the views, et cetera. And his approach, and it's one that I've kind of followed is to, here's the idea. You don't have to be active on every social media and, you know, tweet about everything uh, to be a successful entrepreneur for me and others. You know, we, we appear on a variety of platforms. Okay. Uh, people know how to get to us. I'm on Amazon, YouTube, YouTube alternatives, the major podcast platforms. And for me, that's all I need. And, you know, everybody uses one of these platforms. And I guess for me, in terms of marketing, word of mouth is very powerful. You know, if you produce good stuff, I believe that you will eventually be recognized. And, you know, appearing on other people's shows like I'm doing right now is is also excellent for promotion. I also think of a gentleman who has a very successful brand, and his name is Cal Newport. And he wrote a popular book called Digital Minimalism. And he's very successful by all accounts, but he is not, not at all on social media. He has a website, he has a newsletter, and he sells his books and this, uh, this calendar for, max, for sort of maximizing your life. And that's all he does. And people know if they're in, interacting with Cal Newport, they probably found him from Amazon or on a bookshelf somewhere, but they know if they're going to interact with him, they you know, go to this one place that he's at. And I'm not saying that works for everybody, but one thing that you know, the budding entrepreneur can consider is just how much you want to engage in the you know, surveillance of the customer and the, being on every single platform. Um, because I don't know, for, for me, I've just become a little bit skeptical of, of that approach, though I understand it definitely is useful and works for many others. Well, like I said before, this is a struggle. It's something that I work on myself and try to understand and am not perfect at. I mean, I remember I, when I first started, I was like, I need an account on everything. I had like Pinterest accounts or something. I'm like, what the hell do I need a, a Pinterest account for? Right. It's like start going through and start deleting social media platforms that really don't make sense. And then you can't, you can't do everything. You can't be everywhere. I mean, I had Grant Cardone on the show once. And I mean, he's a social media machine, his marketing. But he's also got like, I, I don't know, dozens of people, probably like 50 people who help him with his social media. It's not just one person. It's an entire team. And it fuels a very large business. So I think that you have to understand where your place in your business is compared to other people and the type of content and the type of things that you want to put out and you know don't bite off more that you can chew i would rather see something a lot more concentrated than you know be on every single platform that's out there um also on your point about cal newport he did a book called deep work i must have read that book about six times excellent 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 book i love that so much yes cal, cal newport is great and uh, l- let me let me also finish that that just came to mind on business privacy, Mikkel, because I know that a lot of people listening to the show, they have aspirations or they are pursuing a a business and they are traveling the world, and that is the way to do it because that grants you freedom, of course, as we know, and it's also fabulous for privacy having your own business because you don't have to be on LinkedIn and you don't have to, you know, have the background check and be exposed to all the systems these days that one is required to be exposed to just to have a job. But when you run your own business, 
there are some things to consider in terms of privacy. And these are this is just basic advice. So of course, have your business entity and have that entity do things for you instead of yourself. Uh, you can hire people to reserve your hotels, as I've already suggested. You can have separate devices for work and personal. Right now, for example, I'm using Zoom on a separate operating system instance on one of my computers. So there's no exposure between my personal stuff and my business stuff. You can have more than one operating system on your computer. You know, get a password manager. This is also privacy one-on-one. Get a privacy manager and start to make sure you have online accounts that have distinct logins for your personal use and your business use. And the password manager is a way, first of all, to get great, long, truly random passwords, but also just to start to organize your life and say, okay, here's my business stuff and here's my personal stuff. And simply try to have fewer accounts and you know hone in on your product and message. Well, I definitely think that the privacy coming from the passwords is massively underrated. I mean, I have done some research on how difficult it is to crack passwords. And I can't believe that in today's day and age, people are still using, you know, their their child's birthday or their address or something like this. And they think, oh, if I just put uh, my birth date at the end of it, then it's going to be secure. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. There's actual software out there that can run different types of information through based on, you know, information that they would pull from social media and do these types of attacks on there. With these password managers, you can actually set them to like 35 characters, uppercase and lowercase, and have special uh, symbols, like unique symbols, like hashtags and percent symbols and things like this. And it's like, no one is ever going to be able to guess something like that. And every time that you add an additional decimal or an additional um, character for a brute force attack, it becomes infinitely more difficult to crack. Yeah, the, this is this is good advice. And I would follow up to that and, and simply say that right now, there are criminals and other kinds of bad people who have access to all the databases that I mentioned earlier. And if you give your information to any company, those will eventually get breached, leaked, whatever the case may be. And criminals are sitting on millions and billions of user accounts right now. They probably have the login credentials to your bank, to be perfectly honest. Now, that means that, yes, you want to use a password manager that will get you a long and truly random password. You also want to go a step further. And this is crucial. Make sure that you have two-factor authentication on all of your accounts. This means that a password itself is not enough for these people to get into your accounts. And by the way, Mikkel, interesting statistic, $6 trillion, the amount of cybercrime every year, $6 trillion. That's, uh, that's almost as much as the US prints in a month. That is massive. And so you do not want to be part of that statistic. So two-factor authentication means that you have a second item that you have to provide in order to log in. So for most people, you log in, you give your password, and maybe that is a, they're going to send an SMS message to your phone. Okay, that's good. And you want to make sure to go into your settings and turn that on by default for every time you log in. So that's what you want, especially for your sensitive accounts, your social media, your banking accounts. Now, even better than that is a dedicated application that generates these codes right? Because your phone number can be hijacked. It's actually not that difficult. But these dedicated applications 
it's a lot more difficult to gain access to them. And so the popular one is called Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. So I would encourage anybody who wants to secure the account, accounts a little bit better, yes, use the password manager to organize your life and to get longer, truly random passwords, which are impossible for a human, but also download something such as Authy and start to have that two-factor authentication code, which means that if somebody does have your password, they also need that code, which they cannot have access to. So that is a good way to becoming much more bulletproof. Well, and I have also seen Google Authenticator app. Google is known for basically spying on everybody. I always wondered if using their Authenticator app is a good idea or not. Well, that's a good point. And I believe Authy actually might be a uh, Google product as well. But here's the thing. Google is fantastic at security. And so uh, so is so is Authy. And so, yes, some privacy, hardcore privacy people insist on having a an authenticator app that is uh, open source. These are these are typically the features you want when you're a hardcore privacy person. You want an open source application, which means that this is not proprietary code. This is developed by a group of, of people and you can look at the code and make sure there's no funny business going on. And so some people prefer that in the case of Authy. There's not a fantastic alternative. There are some alternatives, open source, but not a lot. And so I trust, and I'm not saying you should, but I trust Authy in this case because it's providing me great security, which is what I want uh, in, in this case. I've also seen ones that are USB or you can put them up next to your phone where it's an actual device itself. Uh, kind of like a keychain, looks like a keychain. And you can plug it into the device for a laptop or like I said, it has... I don't know, RDF reader or something for your phone. Have you ever used any of those ones? Yes. So the the popular brand is called YubiKey. You can spend about $50 and get one of these USB-shaped devices. And it's a similar idea. When you log into an account, you're going to have to either plug that in or touch it somewhere uh, for your account to be activated. So if somebody <laughs> if somebody wants to get into your account, they have to have the credentials, but also access to a physical device which is, let's just say, very unlikely to happen. So that works for a lot of people. For me, I'm a little bit concerned about losing these. Yes, there are some you can just constantly keep in your device. Those can work. There are a lot of options if you go to YubiKey. So it's it's confusing marketing. You're looking at you know, $50, 50 euros for, for one of these. So I don't make use of these in my daily life, but they definitely work for some people. And it's, it's probably even you know, the next step in uh, in hardcore you know privacy security yeah even slightly better although different in some ways than the uh, the Authy and the app security okay makes sense makes sense because it's interesting like I said I I have gone down this rabbit hole quite a bit myself but then when you start to go and shop for devices and for these types of things as someone okay I I would say I'm certainly ahead of the curve I'm not a, I'm not a layman when it comes to this time these things but I'm not a expert. I did not build my entire business specifically on the technology surrounding privacy as you have. So it's interesting for me to kind of get your opinion on these different types of things. What actually works, what doesn't work, what is worth the extra effort, what is maybe not so worth it. Because what I would like to do, and, and I think you do as well, is to be able to 
make people more aware about privacy and then have them implement things in their lives today quickly, quick wins where they can actually get more privacy that is not going to cost them a million dollars or months of their life. Small, simple things that can actually have massive impact on their life. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And it, it brings me to another, now, now that I'm reflecting on my own practices, another really important point about privacy, which is that I don't spend a lot of money on privacy. And that might sound, that might sound weird, but I am, for example, right now, I'm using a Linux operating system. That is totally free. You can download that online and get it running in 30 minutes. I'm using a note-taking software that I'm having a look at right now that is totally free and, and open source. I'm using LibreOffice, which is free and open source. So I make use of primarily free and open source software because it is, it's great for privacy because we can see what's happening under the hood, so to speak. And because none of these companies have a profit motive. Now I'm not, I'm not a communist. <laughs> I believe in paying for, you know, paying for what you use. And so like recently I went and I donated to all these companies. That's, that's kind of how they, they get money. And here's the important point. Anytime you are signing up for a service and paying for it. And usually these are intertwined. You are immediately giving away some privacy because you have, you know, signed up for a service. You have given a, you know, VPN, your, you know, your credit card or what have you, you've given, you know, your windows operating system, uh, some of your information. So I think that there is an inverse correlation between spending money and gaining privacy. Another example, uh, I stopped using antivirus software. I know that that might sound anathema to some people, but if you're using Linux and you're practicing safe browsing habits, that is a lot more secure than having a, an antivirus that has immense access to your computer, especially when it scans immense access. That's a lot better. So this is where simplicity and thinking a little bit against the grain can give you more privacy than just sort of shelling out the money and, and hoping it will pay off. Because at the end of the day, you know, as Thomas Edison once said, Opportunity is often missed because it is dressed in overalls and it looks like work. There is, there is work that fundamentally has to go into preserving one's privacy and some research. And it's not something that you can offload to somebody who's going to, who you're going to give your credit card information to and who is going to sort of take over your privacy. Privacy is always eccentric. It comes from within and it cannot almost by definition, it cannot come from a third party, if that makes sense. You know, it's kind of funny, but as I'm listening to you speak, it reminded me of an episode I did ooh, a couple of months ago with a guy named Seam Land, and we were talking about health and immunity on the podcast, how to protect yourself. And one of the main things that he was talking about was intermittent fasting. I've been doing intermittent fasting for over a year now, and he was kind of laughing. He's like, I was like, why is this not talked about more? There's so many health benefits to this. And he's like, well, it's kind of difficult to build a business around not eating. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. I mean, you telling people to refrain, to do nothing. And that kind of reminds me of our conversation today. Actually, you can have a lot less, you can have a lot more privacy in your life if you just don't do anything. You stop giving out all of your information. You stop filling it out on social media or, or sharing everything with the world. If you just do nothing, well, then you actually will automatically have more privacy. So it doesn't have to be this big, complex thing. Just like dieting doesn't have to be a big, complex thing. Just don't eat as much. <laughs> and, you know, 
restrict things, you know, do less and you actually get more. Well, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. And, you know, some people say, well, if I switch over to a Linux operating system, I'm not going to be able to do the stuff I, I need to do. And I just say, well, give it a try. You, you can do everything that you need to do unless you do sort of very serious high-end, uh, you know, video editing or, or something like that. So simplicity, minimalism, these are, you know, it's hard to sell that, right? You know, uh, I kind of start one of my chapters by saying that, look, people want to, when they look for privacy advice, they want to know, okay, what, what product should I buy? What service should I pay for? This and that. And it's entirely the opposite. You have to start by saying, okay, what do I need to change about myself and my own behavior so that I don't need to pay anybody? Because if you, as soon as you offload, think about it this way, privacy and decentralization are almost synonyms, right? In any centralized system, whether it's government, whether that is Windows 10, right? You cannot have privacy by definition because this the central system needs to know everything about the parts. So privacy has to be decentralized. It has to come from you and you have you should be very skeptical uh, about somebody uh, trying to sell you something. And I'll give you another example, Mikkel, and that is the VPN industry. Now, I recommend people using a VPN and I do recommend you pay for a VPN because you will get better service. But the VPN market and a VPN is basically a piece of software that allows you to funnel your internet connection to a, a different company servers whom you trust. And so the idea is that your, your own internet service provider can't see what you're doing, right? And you can also appear to be uh, at a different place in the world. So it's useful for nomads, but the VPN industry has seen that people are voraciously hungry for spending a few dollars in hopes of getting more privacy and security. And they have immense marketing campaigns and they're totally incorrect. They're, they're, they're saying ridiculous things about having how a VPN will you know, protect you from hackers and it will do this and that. And that's not at all what it will do, what, what they do, right? They simply hide your information from the internet service provider. It's simple, it's important, but simple. And so, yeah, the, the VPN industry, just one example of, uh, you know, the industry sees that people are hungry for this and they sell something to people so that people don't have to do their own work which is the essence of getting privacy is, is doing things for yourself. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, when I work with private clients, we do work a little bit on privacy. And some of the people will ask me, oh, I want to watch Amazon Prime video while I'm overseas. Uh, you know, what VPN should I use? And it's like, okay, well, I mean, I have a VPN that's $10 a month or $15 a month, and that will help you with that. But that's not going to help you with keeping all of your information secure and be completely private. I mean, it's good for streaming or, you know, using Skype or something in the Middle East where maybe they block some of these websites. You can get around little things like that. But then I have a VPN service, which is very secure, extraordinarily secure. And but it's not $15 a month. I think it's just under $500 a year. And I know the CEO of the company and I trust him and work very well with him. And he is a privacy advocate. This is his entire life and has built this up from scratch. But these types of systems don't cost, you know, pennies to put together. They cost a lot of money and they don't have these huge marketing budgets. They're used for very specific types of things. So you have to also look at, you know, how much money are you spending on it? And, you know, if you don't think that you could run the product yourself for that, maybe, maybe you are the product. Maybe, you know, 
you are what they are selling, this specialized information. So there's a lot to think about in this field, I think. Yeah, v- VPNs, very important for privacy, but also something that you you have to put in the work. I, I've been meaning to do a episode on my, co- my podcast about uh, VPNs because there's a lot of misleading stuff. But for the average person out there, go get a VPN, go learn what it is. You know, some of the ones that I, I typically recommend, you know, you have, you know, some of the popular ones anyway, Proton VPN, Molvad, uh, some of these guys, it, at least get started and then you can work your way from there. Um, but when it comes to VPNs, there are things that you don't want to compromise on. You want them to have been audited so that their their service is tested by a third party. You want to be able to pay in ways that are not a credit card, if at all possible. And th- there are a few other things that you want that I, I talk about in my book and in, in my early episodes on the podcast. But yes, uh, as with anything, uh, a VPN is one of these weird things where your trust, you're essentially, it's based on you trusting uh, another company that they're doing what they say in terms of where their servers are located and what information they're they're keeping. And so it can be useful to see companies like private internet access, which is one of the most popular ones. When they, you know, have to, when they get served a, a warrant or, you know, something like this, you can, and they, they hold up because they don't have any information to give out. You, you can, you can start to see that, uh, what, what VPNs are, are, are reputable. So if anybody's interested, I would suggest, you know, try a website called torrentfreak.com, torrentfreak.com. They usually come out with a, a yearly list of VPNs and they interview the companies and you can get a sense of, of, of what company you would trust. But I think that's getting a little bit down the rabbit hole uh, for people who are just getting into this, uh, you know, get a VPN, learn what it is and uh, work from there. Okay. So I have some other softwares or, or things that I believe are good, but I, I'm curious your opinion of them. And maybe we can kind of go through them a little bit quicker. How about something like ProtonMail? Proton Mail, hugely popular. They have a host of services, including their own uh, calendar and other applications that they're putting out. What do you think of Proton Mail as a company? Okay, so Proton Mail, they've been in the news recently for having been forced by the Swiss government to track uh, somebody, a criminal who was using their service. Um, that's a little bit complicated to unpack, but Proton Mail apparently does what they say they do, which is to offer you an email account that is zero knowledge, which means that ProtonMail cannot see what is in your inbox. Okay. They can't see what's in your inbox. As soon as you start sending messages to other people, especially if they're using Gmail, well, that record is being captured by Google. And so what we need to recognize is that email is not private. It's never private. Anything you email, expect that to be public knowledge at some point, unless you are sending from ProtonMail to somebody else who has a ProtonMail account, in which case that is end-to-end encrypted. So that is secure. But emailing is an outdated system. You should be sending private correspondence through private messengers, such as Signal, such as Wire, and don't trust email to give you privacy. Now, in terms of what other things ProtonMail offers, they have their VPN, they have a calendar, which is also zero knowledge, pretty useful tool, Uh, their VPN, is quite reputable. And so it's a good company. It's getting popular. So as with anything, keep your eyes on what is coming out about that company and reevaluate your reliance on them uh, anytime you renew your service. 
Well, one of the things that I do like about them, and, and you really hit the nail on the head, is it is becoming very popular. Now, as you're sending emails back and forth to people, if you have other people who are also privacy conscious, which my audience is, I mean, I must have the, the largest concentration of people who email me who have ProtonMail accounts, it's very good when we communicate with one another because I know that it's secure then. I mean, I know that there are many other platforms out there that provide email that do privacy-focused and you that are encrypted, but if they don't have a huge user base, if they don't have a huge following, then actually it can be worse. So you're... I, at the same time, I think it is a po- good idea to go with something that's quite popular. Does that make sense? No, that, that totally makes sense. And the same applies for my other basic suggestion that everybody should start doing today, which is to start using a private messenger, signal, wire, something like this. But it does mean that the person who you are sending your message to or calling, they have to also have the service. And so it, it's one of these things where you can't just call your local store on using Signal. You can't just send a message to your friend on Signal. You have to convince them to join you. You have to hope that the critical mass is leaning towards that service because you're right. That is the only way that messaging services can work. They need you and the person to be using the same platform. So what do you think about Telegram then in this same vein? Because Telegram has an amazing user interface. It is hugely popular. There's, I mean, everybody I know is on Telegram. I know that, you know, reputation-wise, Signal is supposed to be better, but I have Signal. I use it every single day. But the amount of users on it are a tenth of as as much as Telegram. What's your What's your opinions on Telegram, I suppose? Yeah, Mikhail, when it comes to Telegram, what you're looking for in a private messenger is something that is by default end-to-end encrypted. The problem with Telegram is that end-to-end encryption is optional, and so it won't always be on. And so that's why I typically don't send people in the direction of, of Telegram. I hope that uh, Telegram in the future makes that just a default part of the platform, end-to-end encrypted. But for now, I don't rely on Telegram. I rely on Wire, as I said, uh, session is another one, signal, and uh, those typically do it for me. Well, my understanding of it for Telegram is it's very easy to to set the end-to-end encryption, but the problem is that if you're using the desktop application and the phone, then they can't sync with one another. So that becomes like the big challenge. If you're only using it on one device, then you can have all of your conversations set to that very quickly. But I think if you're using it on multiple devices, it's um, it, that's where a, little the pro- a lot of the problem comes in. I think that it is considerably more secure than something like WhatsApp or certainly Facebook Messenger, but maybe it's not quite as much as Signal. Yeah, so you've brought up another good point about some of these services, which is... You want them to work as a, at least in my case, as a desktop application and as a phone service so that you can you know, send your messages from your desktop. You can travel without a phone if, if you dare and still have communication with your people. Uh, but yeah, Telegram, it's, I, need to, I need to once again look into that. It was just one of these things where, right, Telegram looked into it initially and need to update my knowledge on it. But you're right, if, it, if it's not syncing, as you said, and you're not getting the uh, end-to-end 
end-to-end -end encryption, then there are better options out there. I know it's very popular, but there are uh, a lot better options out there. So what about other things like your browser? I use Brave Browser. I have set to DuckDuckGo. Are these good options? They promote themselves as privacy-centric, but is that marketing? Is that real life? What's your opinion? Yeah, so for search, let's start with search. Obviously, you don't need Google in your life. You don't need Bing in your life if anybody uses Bing. DuckDuckGo. Uh, that, that's micro. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yes. So uh, DuckDuckGo, I switched to DuckDuckGo permanently for the last couple of years, and I've had no problem problems finding what I need to find. Uh, will Google get you different and sometimes better results? Yes. But you could also you know, pull up Bing or, or Yandex or, or something else if you wanted to get a, a different impression. So DuckDuckGo is good. And another thing to consider in the case of your, your search engine, Mikkel, is another important part of privacy, which is that if you're private, if you don't have a history on a search engine, you're actually going to get different results. Uh, Wall Street Journal did a, a great study on this uh, a couple of years ago about how you know Google modifies, is, changes its search results. There's a lot of censorship that goes on. And so if you're using a private search engine, you are actually oftentimes getting to the website that you want to get to or the topic that you want to get to instead of what Google wants you to get to. And you know, in some cases, if you are, we'll get into history and cookies in a second, but if you go back to a search engine multiple times in a row and they know where you are, well, they're going to feed you a search results based on your location. And so your view of the world becomes smaller and smaller. And so I'm an advocate. I don't use the Brave browser. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it uh, to, to, to my knowledge. The Brave browser uh, basically has a model where when you visit websites, there's a transaction of a little bit of their, their own cryptocurrency. So they're trying to kind of replace the advertising, the tracking advertising model of browsers. And I prefer just to stick with a basic Firefox browser. Uh, Firefox is also a great, you know, great company for privacy. Choosing it's a it's the chosen browser of of hackers and you know uh, uh, people who spend a lot of time on computers. So I use Firefox. Nothing necessarily wrong with Brave. What is more important, I think, is to be using a VPN when you're online, so that your internet service provider and the website that you go to cannot get information about who you are and where you're from, and also to and I know this is a little bit more extreme, have an attitude that you're not going to remember history or cookies when you're on your browser. I know that's a little bit hardcore for some people, but the idea is, let's say you go to Firefox, turn off the history, and you turn off the cookies. And so every time you go to a website, it's as if you're going there for the first time. So you'll have to log in again and again, but the password manager will help you with that, right? Just click, click, and you're in. And this is my preferred mode of interacting with the internet, which is that it knows nothing about me. It remembers nothing about me. And we can just get on from there. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. It's funny, though, that you mentioned Firefox because the gentleman who actually created Brave created Firefox, if I'm not mistaken. And this was actually his follow-up program. This is the thing that he built afterwards because felt that Firefox was not secure enough. So... If you guys are listening to this, double check what I've just said. Don't Google it. Duck, duck, go it. Yeah. But I'm 99% sure that, that that is a true statement. If it's not, then let me know in our Facebook group. Yeah, and, and either way, you're you're better off on one of those than on Google Chrome or, you know, heaven forbid, Apple Safari or, or one of these. 
Absolutely, absolutely. What about Tor with the Onion router? Do you ever use Tor or what's your opinion on that side of things? So Tor is a, it's really a, a system, but when people refer to Tor, they typically are speaking about the browser that Tor creates, the Tor browser. Now, Tor gives you all kinds of privacy and anonymity. Uh, basically, you, you can download the, the browser for free and you can uh, connect it. It will automatically connect to the Tor network. And basically, you are funneling your IP address through different IP addresses too, actually, in different parts of the world. And so, and each one does not have complete information about the one surrounding them. So it's, it's, a, it's a fairly ingenious system. Uh, if you want to look into it, you can go down a rabbit hole. But it's a, it's a great system for having some privacy online. Now, what are the downsides? Well, the downsides are it's slow. It is really slow for most people. Uh, I can't handle it uh, with my <laughs> short attention span. I just cannot handle the slowness of the Tor browser. You do not want to typically download things uh, from Tor because that will clog up the system further. You don't necessarily want to be torrenting from the, from Tor because that will clog up the system. And so it, if you are really wanting to research something that you don't want anybody to know about, you'll be on a VPN and using the Tor browser, or you'll be on a, well, actually that would get us further down a rabbit hole. I was going to mention the uh, ephemeral uh, operating system that uses Tor as its... Uh, oh no, let's go down the rabbit hole. What is this? What is the ephemeral network? Okay, so if you were really wanting to have some serious privacy in your life, you would download a Linux version called Tails. All right, Tails. And basically, Tails exists on a USB drive. You plug it into your computer, you load up the Tails operating system, and once you uh, open it up, it will require you to connect to the Tor network uh, just to do anything online. So the entire operating system is protected by the Tor network. And you are using the Tor operating system within that network. And the great thing about Tails is once you shut it down or once you pull the USB drive from the computer, it's gone. It had only existed on your computer's RAM, which is temporary. Thus, it is an ephemeral operating system. You yank that, you turn it off, all history, all evidence of anything that happened on that operating system just vanishes. Now, that, that's a little bit extreme and not. it, it certainly doesn't lend towards productivity, but it is a good tool in one's arsenal. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, if you want to make use of the Tor network, you download the Tor browser, test it out. It's probably going to be slow, uh, but it is a great way that works similarly to a VPN and it's totally free and open source. Amazing. Yes. And as you mentioned, tools in the toolbox is the same type of thing with my work, with company formations, trust foundations, the things that we talked about before, those are all tools in the toolbox for different applications for different needs. That's how we use them. It's the same type of things with privacy online. There's many different pieces here. There's many different options and there's different situations. If you're just going out there and reading, I don't know, a blog about Christmas shopping or something is going to be very different than if you're doing banking and is very different if you're I don't know, looking up political ideologies or something. I don't know. I'm just making things up, but you don't have to use the same tool for every job. That's why we have options out there. Exactly. And, and this is usually the, the part where people say, well, what if somebody did something bad using one of these softwares? And I would say, well, people 
do bad things with any tool that's out there. And so if we want to say, okay, people use cash, let's get rid of that. People, you know, people who are committing crimes breathe oxygen, let's get rid of oxygen. I mean, wh where do you draw the line? It, it's, a, it's a silly argument. It's a tool. It can be used for good or bad. We want to uh, do our part to make sure that the world's heading in a good direction morally, but it's not our job to, you know, get rid of tools that are equally as helpful to people doing good things as bad things. Well, I remember reading an article several years ago that was saying that Bank of America has actually funneled more drug money and money laundering and things like that than any other bank in the world. And we're not getting rid of Bank of America. I mean, it's it's there, but they want to throw stones at Bitcoin and things like that, which is just a such a small drop in the bucket compared to some of these inst institutionalized banks that have been around for, you know, forever, which is actually kind of a good segue because I am kind of curious on your opinions on privacy coins, maybe things like Monero, maybe other types of coins. Do you think that they are worthwhile? Are they worth learning about? What do you think about these? Yeah. So cryptocurrencies are another tool in the tool chest for people who are on a quest for freedom and privacy. Now, when we get to cryptocurrencies, we have to list a number of caveats. First of all, they're not all the same. They actually have fundamentally different features. Bitcoin has a blockchain, right? Which is the thing that gives it legitimacy. And that records every transaction that ever happens. Not only that, but you can also click on the person you just sent the transaction to. You can look at their wallet. You can see what else they've done with their Bitcoin. You can see how wealthy they are. So Bitcoin is very exposing, even if it, it has high marks in the freedom category. So first of all, you have to recognize that Bitcoin is different from one of the privacy coins that you mentioned, such as Monero. There are others out there. Uh, Pirate Chain um, is being talked about right now. Of course, it also depends on how many people are using this thing, right? Because if you can't do anything with your cryptocurrency, you start to wonder what its value is exactly. But right, to get back to the privacy coins, yes, Monero and the Pirate Chain are Excellent. They're an improvement from Bitcoin in privacy terms. There are not as many people using them. Now, here's the other part of the question that people typically, in my experience, almost entirely avoid when talking about privacy and cryptocurrencies, which is how do you get these things in the first place without exposing information? A lot of I've read a ton of books on, on Bitcoin, Mikhail, and Usually it goes something like Bitcoin is the solution to the tax mongering nation state. You know, it's going to take down the whole system, this and that. And then they say, so go to Coinbase and start up an account. Well, <laughs> there's a few problems with that. What if your government pulls a Cyprus and you wake up one morning and they've taken, you know, half of your uh, Bitcoin straight from your wallet to pay off their debts? That's completely feasible when you have done the KYC, the know your customer dance, and you've given up your information to Coinbase or Kraken. And so this is etched to your identity now. And you know the government can tap into that. Something can go wrong with Coinbase. Coinbase can get hacked. And hackers can quite easily take out your cryptocurrency much more easily than a bank account um, because of the way cryptocurrency works. And so, and furthermore, if you ever use those coins moving forward, they are forever uh, tied to your personal information. So the key is to get these things private in the first place. The only, it's not easy to do. You can go to uh, Bitcoin ATMs, which are becoming 
are more prevalent. I, I think most of them are in the USA. You can go to cryptocurrency meetups and pay people in cash for them. You can put your uh, wallets or a wallet, I should say, online for people to give you donations for a service that you offer. You can charge people in Bitcoin with your online service. These are some ways to uh, get Bitcoin that are not attached to a centralized system like Coinbase and that are in your own wallet. Uh, and one simple wallet that I advocate is uh, Electrum. So you can have your own cryptocurrency. You actually own your cryptocurrency in a software wallet, which nobody else has access to and which is not beholden to any uh, centralized databases. Now, I know that was a lot, so we can we can follow up or, or go in whatever direction you would like. Yeah, absolutely. So some comments on a couple of these things. I picked Monero because I actually started mining Monero back in 2017, and it's been one of my favorites for a very long time. I'm not mining it at the moment, but I used to mine it and used to be very, very down that rabbit hole of the Monero space. As for the ways to acquire Bitcoin, you are 100% right. I mean, that onboarding the, the off-ramp and the on-ramp are very challenging. These days, I don't worry about the on-ramp and off-ramp personally. I mean, I have my crypto and then I have my USD. I'm not trying to buy crypto with my USD and I'm not trying to sell my crypto back into USD or my Swiss francs or euros or whatever. But I mean, the two things are separate for me and I'm happy to have both of them going at the same time. Now, have you ever used local Bitcoins? I know that that is also a popular application online where people can do kind of, as you said, kind of a meetup and meet in a dark alley and exchange Bitcoin. Not really. I mean, you're probably just meeting downstairs, you know, in your foyer or at the park or something less, yeah, less sketchy. <laughs> it's probably pretty normal. Like you, you make, People make it sound a lot more dangerous than it is. But um, have you ever used local Bitcoin? Any opinion on that site? So for local Bitcoin, and there are a number of other websites and even apps such as the Mycelium wallet that uh, allow people to find other people who have cryptocurrency and meet up and you know exchange cash or what have you. These are useful, of course, uh, with a number of caveats. You know, be careful about how you approach the situation. Meet in a public place. Don't bring a phone, preferably bring a computer that can connect to Wi-Fi and verify the transaction. Don't bring a phone simply for uh, tracking reasons. Um, but uh, this can be useful. Of course, very few people are doing this these days because of COVID, right? So you'll see the last time I was on some of these places, there was almost nobody uh, offering to do an in-person meetup. Of course, if you're in somewhere like Australia, then you are uh, lucky to even be able to open your door. So there has been a, a, a serious decline in that industry, but it's, it is worth checking into. I think you should also look into uh, you know, crypto meetups, Bitcoin conferences. Uh, these are great places to meet people who have Bitcoin and who are willing to sell them. As you suggested, you can mine some of these. Now, you're not going to get a lot from mining, but that can be a private way to acquire some of these uh, cryptocurrencies. And, you know, uh, you, you'll get a small amount by mining if you don't have a dedicated mining rig. Anyway, you, you should be participating in one of these mining groups so that you can be guaranteed to get a uh, part of the profit. Um, but yeah, there, there are a number of ways to do it. None of them particularly easy, but worth it if you actually want to get these things privately. I am an advocate of tracking down an ATM. Uh, if you have one nearby, uh, go in put the COVID mask on, immediately cover up the ATM camera with a sticky note from the side, uh, do your thing, 
and put the cash in and get get some private coins. Uh, that's that's one of the tried and true methods that I suggest for people who are trying to get into the uh, get some get some private coins as soon as they can. And then just a quick comment on what you said about Cyprus, just so people are clear. Cyprus didn't go in and steal half of everybody's cryptocurrency. There was problems with the banking sector, and they actually did a bail-in and took people's deposits from the the, the banks, the normal brick-and-mortar banks. That's where the problem was. That wasn't to do with cryptocurrency. Yes, uh, good, good clarification, but uh, something definitely worth looking into for anybody who is uh, trusting of governments or, or banks. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the digital aspect of this, about how to keep yourself private online. We've talked about VPNs, we've talked about Tor, we've talked about different types of devices and social media and all of these types of things. But what about for the physical side? What are the things that you would recommend for people? I mean, this show is the crossroads of travel and business. What kind of tips do you have in that arena so people can have more freedom in their lives? Okay, so when it comes to physical privacy, uh, as I said before, I advocate you know separating your name from your home address. You can do that with PO boxes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I will uh, let me give one piece of advice specifically for the nomads out there who are, or at least were, uh, traveling all over the place. Anytime you go through airport security, right, you're funneled into this almost singular way that people can get around the world these days. You are at risk of having your devices searched. And I'll tell you what, if you if you get your computer or your phone searched and they take it to a little room and they do some of their magic to instantly replicate your hard drive, you're not going to uh, feel great about that. And so there is one tried and true method. It's, it's, it's invented by the privacy community. I, I don't lay claim to it. But here's what you do. So the day before you go traveling or the, the morning before, get your files arranged in order. Okay, this is the first thing you have to do. You want all of your files to be on just into a few folders on your desktop, everything easily organized so that you know what you're using. Now, you can you will then put those into a an encrypted file using a service like Veracrypt, which protects it through a password, and then you can upload that encrypted file to a cloud storage service. You might say, well, why don't you just put all your stuff on Dropbox from the beginning? I don't trust Dropbox, and neither should you. And anytime I'm trusting my files to an online cloud service, I'm doing it in an encrypted folder. All right. So you take the encrypted folder, you upload it to a more privacy-respecting service like uh, Tresorit, for example. And so at that point, you wipe out, you wipe out your computer. You do a, a fresh install. I understand this is serious, but I'll, I'll explain how it can be useful in a second. You do a fresh install of your operating system. You wipe all the files out. So this is an empty computer that you walk through security with. You get to the other side. You log into that service, Tresorit or whatever it is. You decrypt your files, and now you have it on your computer, right? And so... I understand that that implies a few things. First of all, that you have all of your files organized. And if you don't have your files organized on your computer, that is the first place to start. Now, this also assumes that you're doing most of your, you have most of your files offline and that you don't, you're not always just uploading things to Dropbox, which I think is is very important. If you have your files uploaded to Dropbox, then I, I guess you don't really care about privacy to begin with. That's fine. Now, in terms of 
reinstalling your operating system. I know people get scared by doing that, but here's my approach to operating systems. I make sure to reinstall my operating system regularly. And that is one of my minimalist techniques to say, look, if this were to get wiped out, well, I would, I would be perfectly fine. I don't rely on these settings, or I have a list of the settings that I rely on. And so I can just wipe this thing out. Uh, just like, you know, pick up, you, you pick up and go, you pick up and go, you don't have any attachment. You don't have any baggage. You don't have that house that you're returning to. And, you know, in, uh, you know, rural Kentucky, and that is the uh, pivotal point of your life. And you never go out anywhere. No, it's, it's really the nomad mindset of having a computer, which is that you can at any point in time, reinstall it, lose everything or have everything backed up and then reinstall it and uh, be on your way. So that is my uh, kind of hardcore strategy for uh, going through the airport. Well, hardcore, but at the same time, I have a quick story. I had a friend of mine, a digital nomad, American, flying home to Texas to visit his folks, got stopped at the airport. They confiscated his phone, demanded that he open the phone for them, put in the password, and proceeded to go through his phone. I mean, this is a young guy in his 20s, digital nomad, online business, not doing anything crazy. You know, we're not talking about catching terrorism here or anything like that. Just a nice, normal American citizen, regular guy, confiscated his phone, went through it. He said he felt so violated afterwards, he couldn't believe it. Like he was absolutely shocked at this happening. And if it happens to him, I mean, literally, it can happen to anybody going through these airports now. Yes, good point. And I didn't even touch on phones. This is why another one of my tips is to do as much as you can on your computer and do a lot less on your phone. You can do everything you need on the computer. So reserve as much of that as you can for the computer. Your phone is a privacy disaster for obvious reasons. The GPS is incestuously connected to the applications, which are all sharing information to each other. I do not do any banking. I try not to do anything I can on a phone, reserve that for your laptop and make the laptop the focal point of your traveling life. Yeah, absolutely. Like I never suggest anybody to do their business based on their phone. I mean, it just seems like such a nightmare to me. If you were running your business from your phone, okay, it might sound great at the like at first, because it's like, oh, I can do business anywhere. I can make money from anywhere. No, what happens if you lose that? What happens if it gets stolen? What if someone breaks into it and they're going to have all of that client-sensitive data there? I mean, that's an absolute nightmare. Why would you put yourself in a situation like that? Keep your business stuff completely separate from your phone and from your personal life. That's my opinion. I totally agree. Okay, so brilliant tips, brilliant tips. Now, we have covered a lot of things in this episode, probably close to 100 different things. And there's so much here to digest. But if you were to pick, say, I don't know, five things, Gabe, out of these 100, five things that my listeners could put into their lives today, fast action things that can actually make a real difference in their life, what would be the major recommendations you would have for them? So first of all, I would say, use cash as much as you can. I know that's not a very popular thing. It's uh, it's dirty, it's this and that, but cash is the pivotal instrument for private transactions. So put down the credit card, 
take out some cash from the ATM and use that as much as you can. And if not for you, then for everybody else who is going to be victim to a cashless society in the upcoming years, please use cash as much as you can. Second, I would say download a password manager like we just talked about. This will help you organize your accounts so that you don't have them in spreadsheets and here and there and in your Apple notes. Get a password manager. I recommend an offline one called KeyPass XC, but that cannot necessarily sync with your various devices. So uh, if you would like to sync with your various devices and compromise potentially with some uh, online security, then you can use Bitwarden. But either way, download a password manager, and every time you log into a new account, just start improving the password and organizing your digital life in that way. Next, I would say, tip number three, download a private messenger such as signal such as wire really anything is more secure than facebook messenger and sms even if you're using uh, whatsapp which i don't recommend it's better than sms download one of these try to convert some of your friends and start getting comfortable with it and using it and make you can make phone calls with a lot of these as well fourth i would say reassess your engagement with social media go back into your accounts tone down some of the stuff you reveal about yourself, turn off tracking, change your, change your name and your profile photo, and start to reevaluate how much social media is a part of your life. And then fifth and finally, I would say, go ahead and get a VPN, a paid VPN. Some of the ones that I recommend are you know, Proton VPN or Moldad. You'll have to do a little bit of your own research when trusting a VPN company. Get a VPN. Use that anytime you connect to the internet. This will hide your internet traffic from your internet service provider and will make sure that the websites you visit are also not getting your location information and starting to build a fingerprint of you as the internet user. Brilliant. I love it. Great tips. Great episode today, Gabe. Thank you so much for your time. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to pick up the book, where can we send them? You can find the Watchman Guide to Privacy on Amazon currently, and you could also follow my podcast, the Watchman Privacy Podcast. We talk about some radical things, living in the ocean, uh, how to use torrents, uh, things that uh, a lot of other people do not talk about. And of course, uh, large helping of privacy tips. That's uh, the Watchman Privacy Podcast. Brilliant. I love it. Gabe, thank you so much for your time, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Mikkel. Have a good one. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview. I sure had a ton of fun recording it. Before you guys go, I want you to check out a newsletter that I'm just absolutely obsessed with right now. So my buddy Marco Wutzer was on the podcast for episode 137, and we talked about anything and everything to do with crypto. Now, I know quite a bit about crypto. I've been in the space for roughly five years now, and I've made a lot of money and I've lost a lot of money. And I really used to do these things on my own. I used to do my own analysis, my own research, et cetera, et cetera. But to tell you the truth, I don't have time for that. And I would have to spend all day long doing it. But when I met Marco, I really started diving into his work. And he runs a paid newsletter called Project Serenity. You guys can find out more about it at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto. 
The newsletter is excellent. He discusses different projects. He has buy alerts, sell alerts. He shows you what they entered into a position at, what it should be sold at. And the response has been amazing and his track record has been phenomenal. So I want you guys to check it out. If you have experience in crypto, if you are trading, if you maybe are not trading yet, but you really want to trade, then these are the projects that you might want to get involved in, okay? It's it's not a how-to course by any means. It's an investment newsletter. It's con- done completely digital, but the product is fantastic and everyone who's signed up has had a fantastic result with it. So all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto, and we will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Enjoy your day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.